Everybody, thank you for listening to the Reading Radio podcast. We have a very special episode today. We have uh, Margaret Peterson Haddock's on the line. She's the author of our January book review, Running Out of Time. And we had the opportunity to meet her. She's here locally for us. And so she was gracious enough to honor us with an interview. Hello. Hi. Hi. What inspired you to become an author? What inspired you to become an author? Well, I had really loved books as a kid. And about the time I realized, (laughs) um, I had loved the time I realized that it was actually real people who got to be the ones who wrote the books. I thought that would be the best job ever. And um, so even as a kid, I started trying to write stories and uh, working toward becoming an author. Anything from those early works make it into your published works? Oh, no. No. (laughs) Those early works were pretty bad. But uh, I will say that I can definitely see things that fascinated me as a kid that I'm still writing about now. One of the stories that I remember starting as a fifth grade, fourth or fifth grader, um, I it was a time travel story, and I ended up writing an eight book series that was a time travel series. So uh, definitely some of the same interests held my attention then and now. Excellent. So. This might be a harder question, but what was your favorite book of not your own? Of my own or when I was a kid? When you were a kid. When I was a kid. Well, I would say it probably changed probably with each new book that I read because I had a lot that I really loved. Um, uh, Third grade, it was probably A Little Princess by Frances Hodgson Burnett. Um, after that, maybe fourth grade, I would say it was from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler, uh, by E.L. Konigsberg. Uh, I went through a huge uh, phase where I really loved Zilpha Keatley Snyder and the book, The Changeling was one of my favorites. I liked, um, Escape to Witch Mountain by Alexander Key and a lot of other books by him. So it kind of changed year to year. That sounds a lot like somebody else I know. Yes, I do go through a lot of different books that I like. Well, I think that's a good thing. And I think favorite questions are very hard to answer just because of that, because there are so many great books out there to read. Right. And it changes all the time. It's hard to hard to keep track right. of your favorite right. the moment. Right. Okay. Well, so we've... We've read Running Out of Time. This is my first introduction to your work, which I, I actually really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I had a question of, and I did a little bit of research before I asked, I wanted to make sure Running Out of Time came out before mm-hmm. a particular movie um, that came out. Uh, did you have any, any, yes. any, feed, any feedback on that reaction or when that came out? Was there- well, I, I assume you're referring to the movie The Village, yes. which came out in 2004. Yes. And um, just to be clear, my book came out in 1995. So yes, yes there was, it was a nine-year time difference there. Um, I, I had uh, no input on The Village, and there was no... Uh, if you ask the makers of that movie, there was no connection whatsoever to my book. Okay. Um, it was very interesting to me when that book, when that movie came out, that lots of people started basically inundating me with commentary of, "Hey, did you know that there's this movie that's based on your book?" And they <laughs> didn't give you credit. And um, so, and, and it's very interesting to me that it's now been uh, 14 years since that, and I still get asked about that quite a bit. And uh, I did actually have lawyers calling me up out of the blue offering to represent me if I wanted to sue. I had a newspaper and magazine reporters calling me and wanting to comment. So it was a very strange time. 
Um, I did not take any legal action. I did not feel that it was the right decision to make, but it is very interesting that lots of people still make those comparisons. I, I, can, I see how it was done. I, I prefer the book myself, but I always prefer books, I think, to movies. Oh, well, no matter, good. No good. Thank you. Well, I, I do too. Yeah. So what did inspire the book Running Out of Time? I got the idea for Running Out of Time because before I started writing books, I had worked as a newspaper reporter in Indiana and very in Indianapolis, actually. And close by Indianapolis, there's a historic village called Connor Prairie. And one of the things that I did as a newspaper reporter was that I went to Connor Prairie and interviewed the people who worked there, who were kind of like historic reenactors, had to stay totally in character, act as though they really believed that it was the early, early 1800s. And I just thought that was a very interesting job. I mean, basically, it's acting the entire day, but also, you know, totally creating a character, kind of making up your own lines, all of that, and getting to be very historical. And so when I was there, one of the reenactors that I talked to said that sometimes she'd almost forget that it wasn't the past. And it just gave me chills to hear her say that. And I started imagining, well, what if there were a place like Connor Prairie where the tourists were always hidden and the adults didn't tell the kids the truth about what Europe really was, which was kind of the underlying scenario that I worked with in running out of time. And I thought the addition of the, the tourists being hidden was a unique facet that made me really think about mm-hmm. what it would be like to have your, your life being watched the entire time and how it wouldn't interfere with the authenticity of the scene that you were doing. So I enjoyed, right. enjoyed that. Immensely. Right. Which, and, and it's kind of, it's been interesting, you know, that, that book now it's been, it came out in 1995. So it's now been 23 years since that book came out and even longer than that since I wrote it. And it's been very interesting to me over that period of time, like the whole reality TV phenomenon came up and, you know, people are being watched, but they know they're being watched and are they really acting like they would if they weren't being watched Mm. and then the the idea of there being security cameras in a lot of places and people know that and does that change their behavior and I I mean I think there are a lot of interesting facets to that idea that didn't really exist at the time that I was writing the book right you're a little prophetic there some things some things becoming reality that weren't quite reality at the time well I I don't know about (laughs) I don't know about prophetic but uh yeah It's just very fascinating to me. So when I talked to you at the Pickering Teen Book Fest, you said that your family inspires a lot of Mm -hmm. characters in your book. Was there anyone in your family that inspired any particular character in this book? Um, Mostly not, although I would say that uh, the relationship that Jessie has with her siblings is somewhat similar to the relationship that I had with my siblings when I was growing up. I have two brothers and a sister. And particularly the protective way she felt toward her little sister, uh, Katie, uh, is somewhat similar to the protective way I felt toward my little sister, who is six years younger than me. So I would say that is similar, but uh, circumstances were very different, and I never had to save my younger sister's life. Unfortunately, so uh, it, it, you know, it wasn't exactly the same by any means, but I certainly, my imagination was certainly informed by the relationships I had with my own siblings. Okay, great. So we're going to ask 
you a question that's more about the book. So this is a spoiler warning. If you have not read the book, I would totally recommend you read it before finishing this. So was Mr. Neely's car accident on purpose? Were the other people trying to kill him? Oh, that is a good question. Um, and I appreciate that you said to the, the listeners not to listen past this point if they didn't want to have the book ruined for them. Um, I would say no. I would say that it was just one of those things that was coincidental. But I can see where you might interpret that it was not coincidental, and that's okay. I think that part of the book was got, got to be pretty visceral for me. I, you had planted enough seeds that I knew something was going on, mm. but I wasn't sure what. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're pretty strong about spoilers. When we do our review, we do a spoiler-free review up front, and then we give plenty of warning. If people don't want to be spoiled, we're going to dive in that's, and turn it off now. So That's very good. That's a very kind thing to do. So the one thing I was wondering about, at the end of the book, all the kids are in the hospital and aren't allowed to go back to their parents. Do they end up going back to their Mm -hmm. parents or what happened to them? They ultimately do, although for some of the parents that were more involved in, I would say, the criminal aspect of it, uh, those parents wouldn't necessarily have gotten to reclaim their children. But uh, Jessie and her siblings get are reunited with their parents ultimately. Do you think any of the kids, do you picture any of the children having a more difficulty um, integrating back into society? I think it would be difficult in varying degrees for all of them to integrate back into society. Just as anytime you have a very closed community uh, that raises its children with certain beliefs that are not accepted by general society, it, 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 there's a certain amount of, uh, I guess you would say, cognitive dissonance maybe, or it, it's definitely challenging to go out into the world when you haven't had much exposure to it. I think some of the kids will react better than others, and I would say Jessie is definitely one who would react well, partly because she, partly because of her personality, but also because she had an empowering experience really uh, in, over the course of the whole book. Having grown up in the middle of Amish country, but not being Amish, I pictured it kind of being like that. For the few Amish folks that do leave the community, that type of interaction was probably happening for all of them. But at least they had some people to do it with. Right, exactly. That it wasn't wasn't a solitary experience for them as they were having to be exposed to the modern world. That there were other kids going through that at the same time. And that that certainly would be helpful to them, I would think. But yeah, the... The comparison with the Amish community is, is a good one, I think. It, it was very interesting. One time um, I was doing a school presentation at a school where quite a few of the kids were Amish. Mm. <laughs> and I realized that the way I talked about running out of time had to be totally different than usual because they, that, they were coming in with a different set of experiences. Of, of course, yeah. Yeah. Did you go back to the park you said in Indianapolis to find more about that time period? I did, actually. Um, I had, well, as I mentioned, I had been there when I was interviewing uh, the workers to do the story about them for the newspaper. And then while I was writing Running Out of Time, which was about four years after that, um, I went back. And I went back much more in the capacity of, okay, I want to study how things are done here. And it's 
going to give me ideas about how I want to do things in the book. And I specifically remember one of the things that I realized at one point, I think in an early draft of the book, I had had some mention of there being a cash register at the store in, in Clifton Village. And then I got to Connor Prairie and I was kind of going around very much feeling like I was absorbing everything and, and trying to get ideas for the book. And there wasn't a cash register in the store. And then I looked it up and I realized that I, I forget now what date it was when the cash register was invented, but it, it was long after the time period that I was writing about. And it, that was just one of those things that I hadn't thought to look up. And being there at Connor Prairie had really helped. <laughs> it had given me the, oh, wait, I need to rethink this particular detail because I'm making this anachronistic. So, and this would certainly be a detail that they would keep track of. So that, that kind of thing was very helpful. And kind of absorbing the feel of the place was very helpful. And then I've been back since then, although now it's been quite some time ago, but I was back there uh, specifically to talk to school kids who have been bussed in and were there on field trips. And so that was very fun to be able to do that. Yeah, that would be a unique experience. There's so many things in technology we yeah. take for granted because they've been around all our lives. We assume they've been around forever. <laughs> I've discovered that having children really right, right, and it's, it's, it, right, right. Well, and I'm sure there are things that your kids take for granted. You're like, wait, no, that's not been around that long. I remember when these things didn't exist. Yes, like the internet, we had to do real research. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then for example, the payphone in that's in that's such a kind of crucial part of running out of time. I did not foresee that that would become something that was very rare. <laughs> of course, and yeah. uh, I, I've heard from a lot of teachers who are using this book in the classroom setting, and they're like, okay, we have to explain what a payphone is. Yeah, because, I mean, they're very rare nowadays. Oh, yes, yeah. Although I was at a school just last week in the Chicago area where I was speaking, and we were their book club had read Running Out of Time, and we were talking about it, and, and I said something about, like, have any of you ever used a payphone? And they said, well, there's actually still one in our school. <laughs> and even the teacher didn't realize that there was a, that payphone in the school because nobody would ever used it. Uh, I guess they still have it for, you know, if you don't have a cell phone, you need to call for a ride. I oh, guess. Well, I guess... I guess it was there for emergencies was kind of the idea. Hmm. But but okay. then, you know, whoever would have to have the right change. <laughs> so. so can we talk more about your um, experiences as an author? Sure. One of, one of my questions is what's one thing that you wish you knew before you started writing? Oh, wow. <laughs> You're going to limit me to one thing. Uh, you're saying in general before I had started writing like before uh, you started writing your books okay okay um wow there are lots of things I wish I'd known although some of it I, I wish I I'm glad I didn't know how long it would take to get published because I would have found that very discouraging um but I I do wish I had known uh, to be calmer about the whole process and that it would work out um, I wish that I had known, and, and this is still something that I sometimes wish that I knew, not to get so uptight about first drafts or, or not to get so uptight about times when I'm just stuck and I'm in despair over 
thinking that the book's going to go forward or feeling like I've written myself into a corner and there's just no way out. Uh, Because if I'm sitting there thinking this just isn't going to work, this just isn't going to work, and I'm kind of spiraling down, I'm not helping myself. I need to get up and go do something else and then have confidence that it's going to work out and then it does work out. So I wish I had known how often it would work out that way. So speaking of struggles, what is the most difficult struggle you have had as an author? Oh, um, probably, I, I would probably have to go back to when I was writing, running out of time and trying to get it published. Um, it, it was a lengthy process, not unlike a lot of people's experiences. I had to go through a lot of rejection and I had to kind of grapple with the notion of what if this is never good enough to be published? And, uh, my husband once asked me after I'd gotten a rejection letter and I was really upset and he's like, lots of people never get their work published. Are you just going to be miserable the rest of your life if this never works out? And my answer to him at that moment was, yes, yes, I am going to be miserable forever. And um, uh, it, it also kind of motivated me to make it happen and try again and prove that it was possible. But um, that, that was a struggle and it was very difficult. It's difficult to keep your confidence and keep your faith that it, things are going to work out when you keep uh, being rejected and keep failing. But I th- I don't know that that's, that different than a lot of other professions or a lot of other situations that there are lots of times in anybody's life that there are moments of discouragement and um, you have to kind of get back up from failing a lot of times in life. So what is some information that you think would be helpful for someone that would like to become an author? Oh, um, I would say that and I'm trying to think about what I wish I had known. Um, I wish I had known how good it was and how helpful it was just to read a lot. And it sounds like you do this already, so uh, pat yourself on the back for this. That reading is one of the best ways to learn to be a better writer, because even when you're just reading for pleasure, even if you're just reading something that somebody might be dismissing as being light and fluffy and not of any particular literary value, you are absorbing a lot about sentence structure and storytelling and what works and what doesn't work. And those are all wonderful things to have. So reading a lot is a great thing. Um, I think I also wish I had known how much writing of all kinds can be helpful to somebody who wants to be a writer because I I'll kind of bounce back and forth between writing poetry and then writing journalism and then writing fiction. And I always felt, <laughs> I was always kind of torn between what I was supposed to be doing. And, and if I was doing one, then I was neglecting the other. And the truth is that the more you write, the better you are at it. And all sorts of different types of writing help you make, make, help make you a better writer at any type of writing. I'm not sure if you could hear her eyes roll when you said poetry, but it made me laugh a little bit because we, we struggle yeah. with that. <laughs> not a poetry fan there? She, I don't think she's found the poetry she enjoys. Well, I w- okay. Yeah, and, and that, that could very well be. Um, and I'll, I'll admit, I wrote a lot of 
I wrote a lot of poetry as a kid. I did not read a lot of poetry as a kid, which uh, I, I'm sure I would have been better writing it if I had read more of it. But and I think what attracted me it to me as a writer was just that I could sit down and I could write a poem and it was done. Whereas mm. I'd have a story in my head and I'd sit down and I'd start writing it and I'd get about half a page done and I was tired. But, you know, that was only the opening of the story. And I had so much more in mind. And so I guess I needed to build up my stamina and writing poetry was a way to do it. Interesting. So as a father who might be helping to shepherd someone through this process, I'm wondering <laughs> how the, like the self-publishing environment has changed the way the publishing industry works and if that might be in a, yeah. a better bigger route in the future maybe yeah um and that is something i personally do not have experience with that i do have friends who have gone the self-publishing route and have had a, a variety of experiences with that i think of the people i know who have self-published they ultimately felt very happy that they did it um it it has definitely revolutionized things in a lot of ways. When I started out, it was kind of seen as something that, oh no, you didn't want to be self-published because that was, that, that was just not, it was like, it's not socially acceptable or something, or that was a sign that you had given up on ever being traditionally published. And nowadays going the self-publishing route is fairly common for a lot of kids I know decide they want to have their works in book form and, and just to say, here it is in book form. Um, there are a lot of people who write things that are maybe not commercial, but are, are still meaningful to them and to the people who might want to read their books. And they enter into it not expecting to make money from it, but kind of just with the idea, I'm going to put this out there and see what happens. And, and sometimes, to their surprise, it does end up making more money than they think sometimes it doesn't and they're okay with that sometimes it doesn't and they're not okay with that I mean there's a variety of reactions and uh, I think you have to think very carefully about what your goal is if you self-publish um, some people who some people have unrealistic expectations about what will happen when they self-publish and, and and part of that is fueled by the fact that every now and then there is somebody who self-publishes and it becomes some gigantic blockbuster and sometimes it's picked up by a traditional publisher and then it does even better sometimes it, you know they don't want it to be picked up by a self-publisher because they they're i mean by a traditional publisher because they prefer having the freedom of self-publishing so it's it's different time right now when opportunities are changing and the way the publishing industry works is changing so it'll be interesting to see over the next couple of years, what happens? Okay. What kind of negative yeah. feedback have you gotten and how did it affect your work? Oh, <laughs> negative feedback is not my favorite topic, but it <laughs> does go along with the, the process. Um, and part of the reason that it's a hard, hard subject to talk about is that it, it's such a subjective thing that it would be nice if once a writer writes a book and puts it out there that it could be like the world says, oh, this is a A plus book. And, and, you know, that's a dead certainty or this is OK, it's a B book. But, you know, that's still pretty good. Uh, but instead, what happens is you have some people, you hope you have some people who are like, this is the greatest book. I love this. And then you have other people who are like, that book was garbage. I don't know why anybody would read it. 
and and both of those are valid opinions and and it and it can be that both both people are just looking you know they're looking at the same book but they're looking at it coming from their own experiences and their own tastes and and that kind of thing can be very different so i tend to i'm pretty hard on myself so i tend to be very self critical about my work and it's rare that somebody criticizes something in my work that I haven't thought to criticize myself already. Uh, every now and then, there, I, there's criticism that I feel is very unfair, and it, it does upset me. It's hard not to be upset by it. Um, I, I'll give you, I'll give you one example, um, and this is something that I know a lot of other authors have been upset by as well. Uh, one of my books. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you which one it is. It was *Palace of Lies*, which is the third book in the *Palace Chronicle* series. When it came out, um, I just happened to look at the reviews on Amazon, and one of the reviews of it, which I think is probably still posted there, although I haven't looked at it, a, a person who did not like the book, and one of the criticisms. In fact, I think it was pretty much the major criticism was that the character, the main character, was immature and just seemed as immature as a 14 year old girl and she was a 14 year old girl <laughs> so the fact that she seemed like a 14 year old girl was actually i mean that had been my goal i was trying to make her sound like a 14 year old girl but evidently this reader did not like 14 year old girls <laughs> and it was reading it as an adult and wanted wanted the girl's reactions to be like an adult right. and not like a 14 year old girl. And, and that is actually a huge problem in YA that there, it has become something that is very attractive to adult readers. But sometimes that means that adult readers are thinking, yeah, I'm reading about this character, but I want that character to not really be a teenager, but to be an adult reacting and having adult reactions. And there's kind of a huge debate going on with, in the YA field about who are we really writing for? because of all of those factors. It's interesting. I found myself struggling with that same thing. Um, when we reviewed the yeah. Hunger Games, I, I, I found myself catch, saying the same things about Katniss. Like, she's very naive. And I'm thinking, well, of course mm. she is. She's a teenager. Yeah, yeah. She's had a very, she, and she's had a very, well, not sheltered. She's not had a sheltered life, but she's had a very constricted life. Yes. So, yeah. And it's very different, I think, reading ki books that I read as a teenager coming back and reading them with a Laura and examining the characters differently and seeing uh, they made perfect sense right. to me as a child, but as an adult, I'm going, Oh yeah, I right. can see how they're definitely children. Yes. Well, yeah. I think, yeah. I think we have one, la one last question because we want to be respectful of your time. Um, yeah. A more general question that we'd like to ask. What is your favorite book character of all time? That is not your own. And we know favorite questions are tough. So. Oh, favorite, favorite questions are really tough. And let me think. Um, oh, probably you would, you know, like if you ask me this tomorrow or probably even five minutes from now, I would have a different answer. But uh, definitely one of my favorites would be Hermione from the Harry Potter series. So that, I don't know that that's just like the knee jerk reaction, sure. but uh, it, you know, there are lots, there are lots of favorites out there. Yeah. 
we like Hermione. We're big Harry Potter fans here too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So all right. Well, appreciate your time. It's great to talk to you. I look forward to well. You're very welcome, and good luck with the podcast and all the books you review, and have fun. Yeah, I think Alora's going to pick a few more of your books for us. She's a big fan. So it was the Hidden Children series. Okay. Is that what you said it was okay, called? Okay, good. Shadow Children. Shadow Children. I apologize. So I think Shadow that's, Children. Yeah. that's when she said I would yeah. enjoy. So I think we'll do that in the future too. Okay. 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 Enjoy. All right, thank you very much. Bye.